expectation of a woman is that some some that's going on up there because they're establishing an ordinary community but they don't have um they don't they didn't have the money for like a full-on church to start so they bought this mm. plot of land a house and uh the masses were taking place and still are taking place in a barn like it's, it's just a little barn um out in the back of the property but the thing is oh, they've wow. done amazing amazing work you should look up pictures because um, now, I, you know, because I'm not a parishioner, I haven't seen all the changes that have happened. But as a as a returning visitor, like once every year or two, I've seen the things that they've done, like grand strokes, and it's pretty amazing. Because this went from like yeah, a little container shed barn um, that like they just put um, an altar table up on the back and um, you know try to decorate the best they can to they now have wood paneling to make the inside actually feel like a church um they have a little altar rail structure so the um the sanctuary is actually sequestered off um they put mm. like a little professional in the corner um that you know they soundproof to the best of their abilities and uh, yeah it's, it's amazing because they took what is this this uh small little barn that fits i want to say maybe maybe a hundred people um, and that's, you know, that's being generous. And they turned it into a, like, gorgeous inside parish. The funny thing is, mm. the outside still looks like a barn. You you walk around this thing, and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's just not, not like a big red classic barn. But, you know, it's a, it's like a container, uh, essentially. Yeah. You walk in, it's like, oh, no, this, this is gorgeous. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where we went to Mass over uh, some of the holidays. Um, we were down oh, in Houston. Wow. So we there. See, I still don't have the, uh, I still don't have the courage to go to the ordinariate. I'm kind of like stuck to the TLM where I'm like, I've seen some liturgy done by the ordinariate because I've been considering just to go. Um, so I've seen some liturgy on YouTube from Our Lady of Waltingham. It looks beautiful and everything, but for some reason, I feel the Latin is just so much stronger and more profound. Um, yeah. But then again, I think it's the experience that people have with each of the liturgies, I guess. Right. Um, it, you know, because there's, there's a ton of respect I have for the ordinary, but yeah, you're right. The Latin Mass, I mean, that's our heritage, right? We, we are Roman Catholics, and the Latin Mass was what we were supposed to be brought up with. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, say more. <laughs> Dude, but uh, talking about, you know, the tradition and stuff. When, whenever we don't make it to Regina Celli because it's an hour and, you know, their mass is at 11 and, you know, we have kids. So sometimes it's it's a rush in the morning with them. We actually have a parish that's crossing the street from Minimate where the uh, Houston Astros play. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Annunciation Catholic Church and they have a Latin mass there They at 11 as well. And um, so it, it's not... An FSSP, it's not. It's not an SSPX. It's not an I uh, I I S C K. Um, yeah, I, the Institute of Christ the King. Um, it's just a normal parish, right? And I'm not sure if it if it's even diocesan. But the whole point is that they do a Latin mass at 11, and they have you know Novus Ordo masses before that and after. Uh, and the nine o'clock when they do a mass. Uh, I, Adorantum, but this church is so beautiful. So we go there 
whenever we can't make it to Regina Chelly because it's almost as beautiful as the masses at Regina Chelly. Right. It's so beautiful, so solemn. So it's just wow. I'm I'm impressed with it because the choir is awesome, the church itself. So the history behind the Annunciation is that when it was built, uh, I want to say. It was about like a hundred years ago or something. It was a very, the very, very, very first parish here in Houston, and it was built in in consideration to become the the first cathedral of Houston, which at the end of the day they didn't choose it to be the cathedral. It was a different parish, which sadly they just they just took it down, Um, and they're using the Co Cathedral as the main cathedral now. Um, Oh, Oh, the one in Galveston. Uh, the one in Houston. One in Houston. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you've been. So I'm not sure if you've been to to uh, the cathedral here in Houston. No, no. Uh, But it's Houston. But I've been to the cathedral in Galveston because I know there's a co-cathedral in Galveston, right? That I don't know. Because because I know the archdiocese. I don't think so. I know the archdiocese is Houston, Galveston, but I thought they had a a a co-cathedral in Houston and a co-cathedral on Galveston Island. And I thought I'd see that. I don't know. I don't, not too sure about that. Uh, but the co-cathedral here is now functioning as the main cathedral. It's funny because I went to go confess, uh, when was it Friday and they have, uh, noon confessions. So I went and, uh, I normally, I would park right behind the cathedral because they had the little parking spots, whatever. And I was just driving in circles. I'm like, where's the church? Where's the cathedral? And yeah, it, it's empty. It's, it's just an oh. empty lot. They took it down. And it saddened like, me, they honestly. And they demolished it. Yeah, they demolished it. Yeah, it's, it's all empty. It's an empty lot now. And that kind of hurt me. It saddened me for the church because I'm like, wow, you're tearing down history, tradition. Yeah. And... um Honestly, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of the Co Cathedral. It's too, uh, man, I, I just don't find, I don't know. I feel, I feel it too empty. Uh, it, yeah, you have the statues and then you have some, some images, but on top, uh, you have a big Christ, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty just empty. I mean, there's not much of, uh, so, I guess the beauty that I like about the traditional land mass is, you know, you have the side row. I mean, the side uh, cha- uh, chapels, mm-hmm. and that makes it so beautiful. And here they don't have chapels anymore, so they just have statues and the candles underneath for the uh, votive candles. And uh, it, it's just so sad. So whenever I saw that they had demolished uh, the, the cathedral, it, it just made it just saddened me for the church, especially. Um, and I guess it's a perfect segue to talk talk about how last year the church ended with a bit of confusion for Catholics uh, with fiducia supplicans, uh, because now we're at this point where it's like, man, what's going on? You know, um, what's going on with the church? Is the church changing teachings? Uh, there's so many things that I hear, good things about the document that came out and bad things about the, the document. I read the document and... Uh, I guess I'm on the side of I don't agree with it, uh, especially the way it's worded. Uh, the the wordings for I mean, if you ask Michael Lofton, it's a beautiful, beautiful document. 
according to him, he compares it to Umana Vite by Paul VI, which um, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, Umana Vite is one of my favorite, most, I think it's one of the most beautiful documents a pope has ever uh, written. Uh, and Fiducia's supplicants, nowhere close, in my opinion, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but the contradiction within the document is, or the declaration, let's call it, uh, so many contradictions. And so the confusion comes there because it contradicts itself as you're reading it. And it's like, dang, now you have all these people. And then I'm pretty sure you've heard James Martin, come, Father James Martin comes out and blesses a same-sex couple. Yeah, there was, uh, there was a, I forgot what, I forgot where it was, but uh, St. Paul's Catholic uh, Church, whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure it was in the New England area. They they made a big, uh, it, it's called St. Paul's Historic Church or something along those lines. Um, they were big on social media because um, they had, you know, their first same-sex blessing. Um, and uh, it, it's, uh, well... I'll let you finish before I, I, I word some of that because I do want to talk about that as it relates to it. And then, you know, I guess my opinion on what's going on. And, uh, yeah. So now go, go ahead. ahead. I mean, no, you can go ahead and then I'll just, you know, branch off of you. Okay, yeah, sure. So, so um, you know, like my kind of opinion on the document. Um, now, the huge caveats, I want to throw these out there. I haven't actually read the thing because in a, on a personal note, Here's where I stand on a lot of the confusing things that have been coming out from the church. I want to just kind of stay away and practice my faith in the way that, you know, like best suits me. Um, Super Fiducians, it doesn't quite, I don't want to say it doesn't affect me because, uh, you know, that's, that's not entirely true. But it doesn't pertain to me insofar as it doesn't pertain to how I'm going to act and participate in my faith and try to encourage the things that are true and good and beautiful in my life with regards to the faith that I practice. Um, so, that being said, I haven't actually read the document, but I have read commentary on the document from a number of people. Um, and, uh, you know, I formed a couple of thoughts based on that commentary, not on the document itself. So I can't comment on the document itself, but I can comment on um, like my reaction to what people have said about it and my reaction to what uh, people have about it, right? And so the first thing I'll comment on is, you know, the fact that, uh, yeah, from what I've been told, it's a very confusing document if you read it. Um, I follow uh, a couple of uh, uh, a couple of big time uh, Catholic, you know, YouTubers and podcasters like Ryan Holsworth and Max Aquinas, and have read some of the things that they have to say about it. Um, I think I think it was Ryan Holsworth who was saying something that um, really is um, something that, that really was a take home for him was the fact that this document is supposedly by some people uh, not changing anything. Right? It's saying, oh yeah, we can we can administer these these. Um, uh, uh, spontaneous blessings at any time, um, but then this document comes out clarifying that oh yeah we can administer these spontaneous blessings to couples in particular, and it uses that verbiage in the document same sex couples, same sex couples, same sex couples. Well, 
you know, the, the, the kind of paradox there is, okay, if this doesn't change anything, then why did it need to go out in the first place? Um, and if it is changing something, well, what is exactly is it changing? Why is it, why is it, um, why is it singling out these same-sex couples if, if it's not actually condoning the coupling of, you know, same-sex attractive people? Because, yeah, you know, you know what, it, it was, it was pretty smart because the, the way that they word it, is um not so much so in the beginning it, it said not to pertain to same-sex couples right. but then they would use oh man i wish i had the document it's on the ipad that, that's what i hate about electronics like <laughs> it they're good but then whenever you need them i'm using the ipad to record so i, I have the document highlighted stuff written things on it and uh i don't have it um right. but th i think he uses Couples in special circumstances, I think, situations. Um, and then later on, he moves on to same-sex couples. And then he says that, I mean, pretty much you're blessing not the couple, but the right. individual. And right. it's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, okay, the individual, but then if they come up to you holding hands, what are you going to tell them then? Because yeah. it, because what, what, what the document kind of states is, not kind of, it does state, that it's it's a blessing, a spontaneous blessing, not to be sacramental, not to be done in a liturgy. It's yeah, supposed yeah. to be spontaneous, but because if you if you deny them the blessing, you're kind of denying them the mercy of God. Right. And it's like because if they're coming to look for the blessings because they want to be in communion with God or in in, in you know yeah communion with God, and it's like okay. Yes, but at the same time, you're kind of, you know, if they're holding hands, what repentance is there? Right, exactly. You know, it's, a, it's the same thing that a couple of the commentators that follow have said. You know, it's one thing if you have same sex, a same-sex couple coming to receive a blessing because they understand that their, their relationship is intrinsically disordered, as the church says it is. Right, that's not my words. That is the church's words. That's in the catechism, um, and so it's one thing if they're coming to a priest and saying, "Hey, we want a blessing because we want to follow Christ better, um, and we repent of you know the sinful actions that we may or may not have done as a sorry, we may have done as the same sex couple if they are engaged in sinful Um But yeah, it's an entirely different thing if a same sex couple comes up to a priest and asks. For blessing and is like oh yeah father we would like a blessing you know like what is that implying you want a blessing on your on your um your coupling you want a blessing on your relationship well god can't sit right that's been said mm -hmm. you know over and over again and so if, if we're administering these blessings to couples that aren't repentant or that aren't um you know and this is this is where i'll bring in the saint paul's historic catholic church that i saw going uh, going on online, um, this is this is the problem with documents like this when it leaves so much room for interpretation by various people. Um, it's not, it, it, you know, I'm it, I'm not a theologian. I'm not going to tell you that there's like theological inconsistencies in the document. I don't have the authority to say so. But what I will tell you, and again, what I'm commenting on is the reaction of certain people to the document. For instance, the St. Paul's Historic Catholic Church posted photos online of the priest in liturgical garb. He was in an alb. He was wearing a stole. He was wearing a cincture. 
giving a blessing to the same-sex couple when the document itself says it should not resemble anything sem uh, yeah there should be no semblance of a liturgical or official you know like blessing of a sort well if the document mm. explicitly says that and you have you know this church over here doing this and still claiming to be a catholic church in union with rome you know like what, what what's the disconnect right like what's yeah. so what uh, like what do you say about that oh this is this is something that, you know, in, in my opinion, as just a, a humble parishioner, a humble, um, you know, church-going, God-fearing, like, a man who's trying to follow what the church teaching, what the church teaches, what that looks like to me is, at worst, accidentally sowing confusion more into an already volatile and um, divisive topic. And but like it Let me ask like... you a question. Go ahead. And just because I, I hear it a lot, right? Oh, let's blame Pope Francis. He's whatever. But I'm just on the, my stance on it is, you know, I'm not going to go against the Pope. I'm not going to say anything bad about the Pope because, you know, he didn't write the document. You know, he just, he just signed it off pretty much signed off on it or whatever. So, where what do you think we can tell the people? I mean, is it is it Pope Francis? Is it what he's teaching in the Vatican? Is it the way he's telling these these cardinals, these bishops, these priests to be, or or is it that he's being influenced? Uh, because I mean, I'll be honest with you. Ever since he came in, I've always had a love hate relationship with the Pope Francis. Um, I love him as a pope. Because he is a vicar of Christ, I am a Roman Catholic, and uh, I do, you know, respect the the chair of Peter. Um, and but I, for years, ever since he came in, maybe the first year I was with him, and then after that, he be uh, he did some shady stuff, which I was just like, okay, well, I'm not going to say much on it. But now I think it's gotten too far. Up to the point where now you have society believing something that should not be. Because now the topic of women being ordained uh, deacons has come up even more and even stronger after this document. Right. Um, and so it's like, dang. Because there's someone to blame. It's not, it, I mean, someone started it and now it's just gaining momentum, right? So... And the, the reason I ask is because, you know, I hear all these people blaming the Pope. What What's your stance on it? I mean, my stance is, is neutral because I just don't, I just don't know. I don't know what goes behind closed doors. So it's like, I, I can't blame him a hundred percent. Yeah. So, so my take on, my take on this whole thing is that this is a problem that has persisted since times well before our generation and well before even Vatican II, right? Um, which a lot of people like to blame on. A lot of people like to blame on Vatican II, but, um, and, and you'll have to forgive me because I forget who I'm quoting saying this, but, um, uh, you know, there, there are more knowledgeable people than I who have made the claim that, alright, uh, you know, Vatican II can't just suddenly change things overnight. If um, if things changed as dramatically and as rapidly as they did, 
all that Vatican II was was a blow to an already dying man, right? So um, we'll start there. Um, I think personally that these problems have persisted well before this uh, 20th century, um, maybe even as far back as you know, the, the, the 18th century, um, and honestly, even further back. The, the devil has always tried to attack the Catholic Church because it's the one true church. Um, but um, without going that far and without rambling too much, um, I think that seeds were sown well before our time to cause division and to cause confusion in the church and what the church actually believes and teaches. Um, and we're seeing this, the seeds of that bear fruit now. Now, yeah. you know, the fruit is good in some cases, bad in some cases, right? Um, I think that there were a lot of good intentions behind uh, the reforms that happened in the last century that have brought about really, really good things. Um, you know, for instance, Anglican Ordinary that we started talking about, um, right? I think that that was only possible because we had a church that, um, you know, from, from what I hear, I didn't live in this generation, so I can't say what the church was actually like back then, but from what I hear, a church that was, in fact, pretty hostile to our Protestant brethren, right? And I don't think that church had a chance of forming something like the England Ordinary and bringing more people into the fold of Catholicism under, you know, the true church, under the church of Rome. Um, but, on the other hand, I think that a lot of seeds were sown for bad influencers and bad actors to engage in the church and cause confusion and division. And we see this a lot with, um, I don't want to, I really don't want to like disparage any, any sources in particular, but you know, the Jesuit order, for instance, the Jesuit order has a lot of situations where they come into question on church teaching, especially at the universities. Um, look at Fordham, look at Georgetown. Um, they have a lot of situations where, um, I forget which one of them, but one of them invited at the time, uh, Planned Parenthood CEO Cecil Richards to come and speak on campus, right? A Catholic, Catholic university should have no, absolutely no interest in inviting someone like that to come unless they are repentant and converting to Catholicism and, you know, saying, yeah, this is, this thing that I participated in before was absolutely not okay. Um. And yeah. so, you know, again, I think that um, that the only reason that, that was allowed to happen is because bad faith actors infiltrate organizations like Jesuit campuses or even the Jesuit order as a whole. So um, with that being said, and I don't want to disparage the Jesuits, I know plenty of great Jesuits, and I know the Jesuit order has historically given us the best saints, arguably some of the best saints in church history, right? Um, the Jesuit order has done so many good things for the saints. Um, for the church, but um, you know things like that happen, and it's not just the Jesuits. Um, look at Notre Dame and the Fathers of the Holy Cross, and the hot water that Notre Dame was in because um, you know they had a lot of um, like theological mishaps, and they were allowing a lot of things on campus that weren't in line with church teaching as well. I can't remember specifics. Again, I didn't go to Notre Dame. Uh, you'll have to ask someone who's an alumni or who knows insider information. But, you know, these are things that you hear, um, you know, around the grapevine. Anyway, um, I think that it's a lot of that. I think that it's a lot of people that came in out of, from the outside looking 
to sow confusion and sow divisiveness in the church. With Pope Francis himself, I think that he's human, and he makes a lot of valuable mistakes. Um, right? The, uh, the situation with doing these, um, these unrecorded interviews with a um, secular reporter who doesn't actually believe in the church on a private plane where no one can fact-check what the reporter is actually saying. Maybe not a good look for the church and like the We're having Christian Marxists uh, in the papal office. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 best we, we love Pope Francis and pray for him. He's, he's the leader of our church and the vicar of Christ. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there are certain decisions that he makes like that that you have to question, okay, come on, man, like, where's your common sense? Um, but yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty. If I was in that situation, would I make the same mistakes? Because I understand that in the case of the reporter, at least, like he's one of he's one of Pope Francis's old friends, and so you know, oh, you're trusting an old friend to accurately report what you're saying. Um, but beyond that, um, Pope Francis is a very interesting figure because um, uh, look at look at look at just this re- this most recent uh, case. We get. Um, and, and forgive me, my Latin is not very strong at all, but uh, supplicants, fiducians, or... Um, fiducia supplicans. Fiducia supplicans, right. Uh, we get fiducia supplicans, uh, a document that has undoubtedly caused a lot of confusion and a lot of divisiveness because people are doing that thing where they try to interpret it one way or the other and no one really knows what it's actually saying. And then, like, what is it? A week later, he comes down with beautiful clarity with absolute authority and says hey surrogacy is wrong surrogacy is not supported by the catholic church and you can never actually engage in it and be a good upstanding catholic and, it, no. and it, where, well, like where's the clear where, where was the clarity before you, you know, like you just you said you you said this like like yes, I applaud you, Pope Francis. That is sticking to church teaching, and that is laying down the law and saying yes, absolutely, this thing is wrong. But what the heck with this other document back here? And then the same thing with abortion. Yeah. Pope Francis's record on abortion is phenomenal. You know, like he he has come out and said that um, procuring an abortion is the equivalent to hiring a hitman. And as Catholics, mm-hmm. we believe that that is accurate. That, that what you're doing is you're hiring a medical professional to come and murder something, right? And yeah. Pope not minced words on that, even a little bit. So, again, the dichotomy, like, hey, Pope Francis, like, I, I love you. You, you, are, you are the vicar of Christ, and you are doing excellent things and progressing the church in good ways. But why are you confusing over here and not over here? Like, what's, yeah. what's going on there? And so, yeah, I, I chalk that up to he's a human. He says things and he does things that humans do that maybe get get them in hot water. But no, I don't. I don't. I, I think that it's stupid to say that. Um, just like it's stupid to say that the fault of everything that's wrong with the church lies solely on Vatican II. I think it's also stupid to say that the fault of everything that's wrong wrong with the modern church lies on Pope Francis. Like, quite yeah. frankly, that's giving him too much credit. He's just a man, you know, a holy man, an ordained man, but at the end of the day, he's a man. He has faults like the rest of us. Yeah, which, just going from a confusion to some good news, uh, Shia LaBeouf, finally, is a Catholic. I mean, I really want 
want to talk about him because he's one of the reasons why I kind of switched over to TLM. Um, and I, so my wife and I started a whole podcast on our own as well. Right. Uh, and we were kind of talking about it. I, I think because we, we've been trying to record a second episode that we've recorded, like the intention was there to record and post it, but we've recorded it and had to delete it because my kids started crying or whatever. So we had to delete the episode. Uh, but uh, in one of these conversations, I was, you know, kind of explaining how Shia LaBeouf um, was able to voice what I had been feeling for a long time, which was uh, during an interview with Bishop Barron. He Bishop Barron asked him about the Latin Mass. Why? What was so special about? I don't know what the question was exactly, but it was something something along the lines of why the Latin Mass. And Shia LaBeouf said. Well, when I go to the ordinary mass, I feel like someone's. Well, no, when I go to the Latin mass, I, I don't, don't feel like someone's trying to sell me a car or is trying to sell me something. I feel like I'm being let in into something special, and that's exactly what I have been. Fe- I had been feeling for a long time. You know, I I would go to church and I would feel that like they're trying to make to, to convince me that this is right. You know, this is the way you have to lead your life or whatever, right? In the ma- the mass, right? And, uh, and, but once I found the Latin mass, thanks to, well, I had already done research on it, but then Shia LaBeouf just put the cherry on top for me to go. So I finally go, and uh, it's exactly how he said it, you know? And I had heard something from, I think it was Candace Owens, who, by the way, I love listening to her things. Uh, her, I think her husband is Catholic. Um, he also attends a TLM, uh, but she's not. I think she's, if I'm not mistaken, I think I heard that she's like considering uh, coming over to the to Catholicism, but I'm not too sure. But anyways, the whole point is that she kind of made a comment. You know, sure, uh, Padre Pio, the movie was a disaster. The new one was a disaster. It was horrible. It was more of a socialist propaganda more than it was about Padre Pio. Right. Um, and then I, but, I heard that they advertised this as Padre Pio movie. And, you know, this is, hey, Padre Pio, and we're talking about Padre Pio. And, like, Padre, the Padre Pio storyline was, like, the B storyline in that movie. Um, yeah. I, I haven't watched it, but, yeah, I heard it was just an absolute disappointment everyone yeah oh yeah no don't i mean if you want to watch it watch it but i wouldn't watch it uh i would recommend you not to watch it but uh the thing is that you know he was saved through the movie right through the intercession of of padre pio and then being i think what what helped him the most was emerging himself into the the franciscan life and he saw a total different side of it yeah so um so I think I'm pretty sure it was Candace Owens who said that, you know, what's the whole point of just one person being saved? You know, I mean, it was only Shia. I mean, the movie sucked, but he was saved. But at what cost? The movie sucked. And um, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it may not have been Candace Owens. It was someone, right? The whole point is that I remember, you know, thinking about that little quote from that person. And I'm like, wait. He didn't just save himself, but 
he kind of helped me out as well because now I'm getting to know my faith even deeper uh, and my wife. And now my my uh, second born, he's our first uh, TLM Baptist ba- baptism uh, boy, right? We finally baptized in the traditional uh, right. And uh, thank you. I mean, it was it was beautiful. I mean, something different, right? Because we're not used to doing it. Well, go, no, go go ahead. I just want I just want to comment because I also had my second born baptized recently, and yes. Uh, in in the old right. Congrats. Thank you. Just because, uh, like it's it's beautiful, is it not? Like yeah. I, I, no no offense to a, a modern Nova Sordo baptism, it still confers the graces of baptism. But there's just something yeah. extra about. Oh yeah. Baptism. I mean, I think I think the steps within it. I mean, uh. You know, you start at the apex of of the church. You're not even in the chapel, right? Yeah. And your 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 kids getting an exorcism already, mm-hmm. and um, the prayers. I mean, they're beautiful. And then the things that he does outside, and then he walks in with his stole on the baby with the mother. You know, and this is something I was telling my my wife. I said, you know, it's funny because the modern in the in the modern world, you have. All these women saying, "Oh, the church, the church uh, uh, degrades women, and all this other stuff." But I was like, "Man, I wish that during the whole baptism, there was a place for me, like there was for you. Like yeah. at the end of the baptism, there's a churching of you, yeah. And then you're consecrated with the child to the Virgin. Yep. Like there's no such thing as me. <laughs> like there's a place for you. Like." And my wife said exactly that. She said that she felt, and it's funny because, uh, yeah, we had family there or whatever, right? And they're not used to it. They're not used yeah. to this, right? So um, I wouldn't blame them if they thought it was boring or if uh, it was just too different or whatever, right? Um, I hope they loved it because we loved it. But my wife said, some, said something that really, really touched me, which was she was like, at the moment that – I was walking in and was was kneeling at the rail uh, for the churching ramp. Uh, I felt then this sense of security and confirmation that ma- that the Virgin is my mother above all else. You know that she is there with me every step of the way to guide me to God. Right, and I was like, "Whoa, that's profound! Like that's deep." Yeah, and that's something that like after it was all done said and done, we were on the way back home to kind of celebrate. We had a little dinner here at home. And uh we were talking about it and I'm like, Wow, this was something like, yeah, maybe because we were used to, you know, music and everything going on at the same time, right? But this was just all said, all prayers, all exorcisms. At the same time too, you know. Um that, that exactly uh, in the tradition, right? No, you're baptizing this baby. Um, exactly. People might like also be baptizing, but no, it's not like a group thing. It's not like, oh, uh, yeah, baptisms are the second Saturday of the month, and so sign up for you know the, the next month and go to class. Yeah, have you and five other babies baptized? It's like, no, I'm getting my baby baptized on this day, and my baby is getting baptized. Um, yes. That's something that's super super cool as well. Um, what, what I think is super cool is that you have to notify them a month before giving birth. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they and then they set up immediately. Yeah, um, that, that's something that uh, I I know is true, and and I think about why too. Um, and it, it is it is a bit of a shame that this has fallen out of favor with most with most Catholics. Now we still waited, um, you know, uh, a bit of time because our godparents, um, uh, she's a doctor, and so she can't just take off work, you know, drop a hat. Um, you know, like we do have to schedule around her, and we're and we're totally willing to do that, right? Because we wanted that as our godparents. But um, the church called us like, like a week after she was born. And was like, okay, we're ready this this weekend. You guys are ready to get baptized? And we're like, ah, uh, no, we gotta wait for the godparents. But they they put that they put that uh, they put that sense of urgency because yeah. it should be that urgent to people. I mean, think about what you're doing. You are you are bringing your child into the church you are um you are making it so that they have a possibility of entering into heaven now yeah um, the caveat of course the church teaches that um god's god can save through any means even extraordinary means but we believe extra ecclesia nola solace there is no there is no guaranteed salvation outside of the church the church is the only way that we know that salvation can be achieved, which is why baptism is so important. Because before oh, you yeah. baptized, you are not a member of the church. And yet we, yes. we hope and pray that God will grant graces to poor, unfortunate babies that die unbaptized. But it is urgent because there is there is a chance that should something, God forbid, something happen to a child before they actually get baptized, their, their salvation is on the line. It, like, oh, yeah. And so I, I love that that's uh, such a such an emphasis in traditional communities is let's get these babies baptized. Oh yeah, as soon as possible because. But there's an urgency. Baptized. See, you used the, you used the right word, urgency. It's funny because, see, I didn't know about the whole month thing because of course I'm new to the whole TLM, yeah. uh, baptism stuff or the the way things are done. And, uh, you know, I sent an email to Reginald Telly, you know, I waited till we moved here to, you know, kind of email them or whatever. I emailed them and uh, secretary got back to me really fast. It's something different than modern day, modern day, you know, they, they have a lot of people, so they kind of take their time. Yeah. Uh, but no, here it was quick. It was fast. And, um, and she was like, okay, well, I, uh, CC'd Father, um, man, I forgot his name. Um, I'm still new to the parish, Van Villiers, I think is his name. Uh, and he'll get back to you to like, give you a date or whatever. And most likely, they're going to want to baptize ASAP. So I was like, okay, sure, ASAP, maybe a month from now, whatever. Okay. Emails me almost immediately. And he's like, and I think this was like January. When was the uh, funeral in Nebraska for uh, the priest from Modern Day that died? Father Buckley, uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think it was... Uh, it was after New Year, right? I think it was after New Year. I think it was shortly before the Epiphany, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Cause we... Yeah, because I, I knew it was before the Epiphany because he sent me an email. He's like, okay, so let's do it January 6th when I get back. I was like, whoa, 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 that's too fast. Like, that's like this Saturday. So I was like, uh, well, the godmother at, at that time, it was just going to be a godmother. But he was like, I prefer two godparents. And I was like, oh, okay, that's something different. Like, I've been, I've seen, you know, just one godparent. But he was like, it's important for an infant to have two godparents. Right. I was like, oh, okay. So luckily she's getting married. And we're like, okay, 
uh, whereas the fiance too, you know, we know him, we like him, we 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 feel that yeah, they they both can bring faith to the kid to to my kid, right? Yeah. So, uh, so then you know we got the date that she's coming, which was yesterday, February, I mean January twentieth, and so uh, we finally got that done. But what we really loved was that all he wanted to know was that we were all. Catholics in good standing. And later on, everything will follow, right? But the important thing is to baptize the child, and then everything else will follow. And um, that was something that made me feel... One of the things... Okay, so let me backtrack a little bit to Reginatelli. So at modern day, I felt like I was at home. But then once I stepped foot into Reginatelli, I felt at home. It's it's yeah. so strange, you know. I felt at home. It, it's modern day was literally ten fifteen minutes away from us in Dallas, yeah. but then here in uh in Houston it's an hour. But when I first stepped foot, I didn't I didn't care to drive the hour. Made it to Reginatelli. I felt at home, like literally at home, and the priests were so welcoming. The people were so welcoming, and this is something that like the reason I I. I want to talk about it as well as because I feel that, um, and I'm going to tie it together with the persecution that, you know, we were just mentioning, uh, before we started recording, mm-hmm. I feel that people misunderstand what the TLM is. Um, we've received a lot of, not persecution per se. It's not that someone's trying to kill us because we go to TLM, but we have had friends who have stopped talking to us because we go to the TLM. Um, and then, of course, family members, including my family members, who don't agree with us going going to the TLM. Uh, and we've heard so many ideas of what the TLM may be or whatever, or what are they telling us to do or this and that. And it's like, no, like, there's more to the TLM than what you think. It's not someone telling us what to do. It's literally just a mass. A mass done. I, uh, everything done I do pre-Vatican II. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you get into that, though, I do want to interject there. The TLM is just a mass, but I think that uh, because you're talking about persecution, too, and the friends that have stopped talking to you, that's not just because of the mass you attend. There's something more about the TLM and that why we attend it is because it's not just that it's, you know, that it's just a mass. I could get just a mass in Spanish or in Portuguese or in Japanese yeah. or, you know, whatever. That would be just a mass. The, the thing about the TLM is it, it is more than just a mass. That's what's compelling about yes. it. That along with attending the TLM, there's a lifestyle that, that is fundamentally different. A, a state of yes. mind about your faith that is so much more intimate and, and taken seriously than I think most modern churches, most, um, you know, actually participate in, right? It is, yeah. it is a mindset that says, this is our faith, and the reason that we practice this way is because it's important to us, because our faith is important to us. And not only is our faith important to us, but our faith is this important to us, right? Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, at most modern churches... That, that that's not emphasized that's not the case that's not expounded it's like oh yeah this is pretty important in fact it's really important but you know what in the case of a pandemic we're going to shut down with no questions asked you know yeah. just for you know a hypothetical scenario um 
it's kind of like the way I, um, so on Friday we went out with uh, some friends cause my wife needed to do some work for them. So she does taxes and stuff. So they act, you know, called her to see if she can do her, their taxes. So we went and, uh, uh, I was, so there were, there really two couples were there. Um, and so we used to be in this Novus Ordo group, right? And so they were just shocked that we no longer were there because we, like I've told you before, we grew up in, the, in this group, right? Um, so they, they were just kind of, you know, asking us questions about it because, you know, of course, I mean, two people that grew up in this in, in one group, their whole entire life, you know, their whole entire family's there. Of course, it's kind of weird, right? Um, right. So... Exactly. So, you know, oh, wait, what happened? You know, your whole entire family's there. You grew up in it and then you started going. And then, so what happened? Like, how did you make that change? And so, I was, the way that I explained it to them, because one, you can't really explain a TLM, you have to experience it. And two, I, I told them the only way that uh, I can kind of explain it to you is that the liturgy does all the work. All you, all you have to do is show up. And it's not that I heard it in a recording or that I had read it in a book or a podcast or whatever. No, like I literally experienced it that way. The liturgy did everything. All I did was show up and go and, and just pray. That's all I did. And then the liturgy itself was the one that kind of pushed me to be to pray the rosary, to go to confession, to lead my family in this way, to do more prayer at home, uh, the kids, uh, do this, do that. And, and it's like the liturgy does it on its own. And that's and that's what I love about the TLM is that I don't have to do anything. I don't have – and the way I, I also explained it to him was – to the person was before I thought I needed to be at church every day, yeah. every single day to feel something close to god but now i'm like no it's it's more of like the 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 quality more than quantity right uh, so like i go sunday but that sunday my soul is regenerated for the week right um but it's it, it's something that you have to experience and so uh going to the whole you know being giving being being given the the cold shoulder or even you know just being pushed to the side a little bit um you know it's it it sucks uh i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and say oh yeah i don't care no no i do care because it's family but there's this this happiness that you feel i mean not family right but family friends uh or just anybody right but there's this feeling of I'm doing right. I'm I'm doing what I I know God wants me to do. Uh, but it was hard at first, you know, because we didn't expect any 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 attack, right? But it happened and it's like, wow, I mean it's not that, that that we're going to like a lot of people think it's a cult. It's like yeah. no, it's not a cult. And like, to be fair, no, it's not a cult. To be fair, some people do take it as far. You said the Pope is the Pope. Now is now you're you're wrong. You're outside of the church. You have not created your own church. And sadly, they have those kinds of extremists 
have made it seem more culty than it, and it really is. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it really isn't. It's, it's not. It's, it's a method of, of practice, and it's a method of um, tradition that we hold in our hearts and in our lives. And I think yeah. that's, that's something that needs to be emphasized. Because, um, you know, you talk about persecution, and um, just to kind of, like, feed into that topic, um, I can't really speak too much on a personal level. Um, there, there's the, for, for me, uh, participating in the TM has not brought the same level of uh, separation from like friends and family as you seem to say you are. And don't get me wrong, I, like friends and family that aren't into that have noted that it's weird and have kind of distanced themselves. That much is true. Um, but the the fundamental way that I think most TLM people are persecuted is in the fact that they're just shutting down those communities, right? Um, I think that's the biggest persecution that um, you know traditional Catholics face, which really is a sad thing. I mean, because you have the weight of the entire world basically telling you that the way you practice is wrong and it's weird and it's off-putting and uh, yes I, you know people like you and i know of other i know of other traditions that have the same experience that they they encounter the traditional latin mass and they encounter the practices and the lifestyle that it entails to dive fully into that traditionalism and they're separated from their family and they're separated from their friends not by their own merit but because you know they want to take their faith seriously and their family and friends don't want to and they may not say that they may not think that that's what they're doing but really that's what they're doing is that they are comfortable in and i'm thinking of a couple of friends in particular is why i say this so um you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm naming actual examples, um, but I know of, um, uh, I know of one friend in particular who's um, like practicing. Uh, he started practicing traditionalism, and his family just cut him off because his family's nominally Catholic, and his family, um, you know, goes to mass every Sunday, if that, right? Um, and that's the extent of what they do, and they don't dive deep into their faith, and they don't learn their faith, and they support all these things over here that are contrary to the faith. Well, this friend, unfortunately, he started, sorry, unfortunately for his family, not for him, unfortunately for his family, he started practicing, you know, um, traditional Catholicism, and took his faith a lot more seriously, and again, just because I'm the caveat guy, and I want to make sure that... I'm being as ecumenical as possible. I'm not saying that it's only traditionalism that takes their faith as seriously. I'm just yeah. saying that there is a correlation between taking your Catholic faith seriously. Uh, rather, there's a correlation between participating in traditional Catholicism and taking your faith seriously. So, just putting that out there. You can go to Nova Sordo and be like one of the most upstanding and holy Catholics in the world. You can be more Catholic than many traditionalists, but there's a correlation with oh, yeah. traditionalists. So that caveat out of the way, this friend, he starts practicing traditional Catholicism, and he notes that, hey, some of the things that his family is practicing, they aren't correct. And he charitably 
tries to correct them on it. He says, hey, look, this lifestyle that you're living over here, or these things that you're participating in over here, or a family member, cousin, whatever it is that has like a marriage over here that hasn't been annulled, and you're sleeping with someone else, that's not a you know, that's not a relationship you can participate in. Even though you're divorced, that hasn't been annulled. Um, hey, a uh, cousin drinks and gets plastered every time that he drinks. Right? That's not proper Catholicism. So Thomas Aquinas says we drink until mirth, but that's the limit. That's not the goal. Right? Things like that. Yeah. You know, you take it very seriously, and your family who, or your friends who aren't practicing as seriously as you are start to distance themselves from you because they don't want to live and they don't want that wake-up call as oh i'm not actually practicing my faith the way that i should and so that was a long long long-winded way of saying that there's one way that we experience persecution as traditionalists is that you know the people that we've come to know and love even the ones that are in the faith start distancing us from them because yeah. we take it seriously and they don't. And they don't like the fact that we take our faith seriously. Maybe because it's a reflection on their own soul. Who knows? That's speculative. But there's one way. The second way is you have all of that weight of you know social pressure. And then you have the hierarchy of the church saying, hey, you guys can't practice anymore. Hey, we don't like diocesan life. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, yeah. I think you guys are a rattle of radical that's trying to undermine church authority and that's trying to, you know, uh, usurp, um, uh, you know, Vatican II and all the good that it's brought or whatever their reasoning is. So we're going to shut down this Latin mass. We're going to shut down that Latin mass. The FSSP, you're okay, but you're on thin ice, right? That type no, of thing. very thin ice. So I've, um, I, I've, again, from uh, traditional podcasters that I've heard, um, this is tragic because maybe, Maybe I like I'll grant maybe all of this was done because there were in fact some radicals that were trying to do what they say they did. They were trying to undermine the church and they were trying to cause division and scandal and whatever have you. But you're really throwing the baby out with the bathwater with the measures that you've taken. Because um again, uh Brian Holdsworth, he was commenting on this when uh Traditionis Custodes came out. Um he knows of a community um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, if I remember correctly, the story was he knows of a community that it was a Latin mass community that was a diocesan Latin mass that had people traveling from like, like you traveled to Regina Celli from an hour away. This church had people traveling from an hour, an hour and a half away just to attend the church. And they would have fellowship and they would have community after mass. And they built this really tight knit community where all the families knew each other and all the kids played with each other and all the mm-hmm. kids were friends. Well, hey, guess what? That church doesn't exist anymore, or at least the Latin mass there doesn't exist anymore. And all of these families. They don't have a place to actually commune anymore. These these people who were so involved in each other's lives, these relationships that have been built up, they can't exist anymore because they have nothing else in common. They live like three hours in in some cases, three hours in opposite directions, right? Yeah. And so um, this community has been broken up directly by something that the hierarchy has done, right? Like that, that oh, yeah. that's not... Just a, it's not just a oh um, 
uh, fiducius supplicants moment where it's like, oh yeah, we're saying this confusing thing about church teaching. No, that's a direct, hey, your community over here, yeah, it's gone now. Everyone that you've known and loved in this community, guess what? You guys aren't uh, don't share this in common anymore, and you guys have to break up. And like, what yeah. do you do with that as a traditionalist? Especially as a traditionalist who is a practicing Catholic, who does adhere to the church authority, and you know who wants, like, who wants more than anything to submit to Rome and to do what the Pope says and to do what the Vatican says and support the church as a whole. When that church is the same one that's shooting you in the foot and taking away the thing that you hold most near and dear, you know, that's yeah. that's that's a burden that a lot of traditionalists bear, and that's that's the saddest thing in the world. Oh yeah, which is where like you have Bishop Schneider who comes out and like defends traditionalism a hundred percent. FSSP, SSPX, uh, ICKSP, uh, he defends traditionalism a hundred percent. And it's funny because I was like, oh, he was probably raised in the traditionalist way. He wasn't. He was ordained after post-Vatican II uh, to the priesthood. So his whole entire priesthood has been um, uh, post-Vatican II. So no one can even attack him to say, oh, he just wants to go back to what he grew up in. No, not really. So it's like um, – you have bishops who see the beauty behind it, the community behind it. I mean, it's funny because, you know, being new to Regina Celli, people don't just look at – they don't look at me weird, and they'll yeah. smile and say hello. And it's like, man, you feel home. You don't know anyone, but you feel at home. Same thing at modern day. Um, and it's funny because we go sometimes to Annunciation here in Houston, right, and – same thing. They look at you and they're happy to see you. And it's yeah. not like one of those fake happiness, like smiles, right? The ones that you get the uh-huh, and then just walk away. No, like it's legitimately a, an authentic smile and saying, hey, how are you? And it's like, oh, okay. And um, and it's it's like I told the guy, it's the same faith, practiced different. Yeah. Okay. So, like, if you think I'm in the cult, I'm not. If you think I'm not Catholic, I am. It's just, just imagine it this way: the Franciscan, it's different spiritual. It's a different spirit, and it, it practices differently. Such, just like the, the the Franciscans and Carmelites, someone who chooses to go to the Carmelites is because he some something's calling him to that spirituality. And if he went to the Franciscans, he wouldn't fit because he's called to the Carmelites. Same thing to the Franciscans. Different orders, same faith. And uh, that's how I kind of explained it to them, you know. And and it, it kind of sucks because, you know, you have, for example, my mom. Oof. Let me tell you, man. She, she did not like it. She was, you know, um, she was mad. Uh, was she accepted? I don't know. She hasn't brought it up again. Um, I do bring it up sometimes just to, you know, talk about it because, of course, when you – it's like having – like being married, you know, you just want to talk about your wife. You know, you love your wife so much that you want to talk about her, and that's – I love the TLM, and that's all I want to talk about. But I've, I'm learning to stay quiet, you know, and just letting my – because back in the day, I would do a lot of talking, you know, and at the end of the day uh, – it was just words, and now I'm actually putting into practice, which of course I I understand, and it's funny because 
that a lot of people may think that we're pushing ourselves away from them, but it's not really we're pushing ourselves away. It's just that, like, when you know that you're not welcome because you don't practice the same way. Now, I'm not, like, throwing anything, stones at anyone, okay? It's not, I'm not talking, I'm just talking in general because it's happening with friends where, like, uh, they just, they, they say that they respect it and they don't. And it's like, man, like, the, you just feel that awkwardness in the air. And it's like, man, all we want to do is be happy. You know, you want to be happy. We want to be happy. You know, and we're happy this way. And if being happy means for people to push us away, then by all means, bring it on. Because, uh, and if we're willing to sacrifice that, there has something, something, the TLM has something that other things don't. You know, because back in back in back then, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to. If someone was against me, I needed to go and, and, and try to please them and, and and be in good terms and try to justify why I'm doing what this right. that. And now it's not that way. Now it's you know what? If me being happy in this in, in this practice means that you have to push me away, then by all means, God has a plan for me, and. uh just, just to comment on the, the pushing, pushing away, because um, I, I like to think about it in this way. Just again, trying to be as, uh, as maybe best intentioned as possible and as as charitable as possible with what um, you know the, the other party um, is thinking. Uh, I like to think about it this way: is um, it's like. I don't think that anyone is pushing anyone else away. I th I'd like to think that it's something like a uh, uh, it's something like a meet the person where they're at versus invite them to greater things um, debate, right? So let me try to paint an analogy, and I'm building this from scratch, so it's probably going to sound really rough and icky and rugged. But uh, imagine that. Um, imagine that there's a big canyon, and down here in the canyon, there's enough sunlight for you to get by, and there's like a river in the canyon, and you can have a perfectly nice village there, um, and you know, there's like deer and stuff that venture into the canyon, so that village can have food, and like that village is perfectly happy, and it's perfectly fine, and it's perfectly able to, um, you know, uh, subsist on itself, right? But because they're able to subsist on themselves down there, they never bother to venture up into the hills. Well, let's say a couple of brave adventurers say, hey, let's go up into the hills on top of the canyon and let's see what's going on up there. And they climb up to the hills and they find like the source of the river. And they find like these beautiful fields of, you know, like wheat that provide them with more vegetation and more nourishment than they ever had down in the canyon. And they have all of these like succulent and supple, um, you know, like pigs and cows and and animals that they can like hunt and feast on, and they can establish a village up here that is even bigger and more grandiose and has way more wealth and way more, um, way more, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, ability and way more um, everything than the village down there, right? So, 
the village down there in the canyon, they're surviving, they're subsisting, they might even be doing well, right? They have running water, and there's there's nothing wrong with their lifestyle, there's nothing wrong with their village, it isn't going to collapse. But up here in the canyon, or sorry, up here in the hills, there's a bounty. There's, there's, um, like, there's excess. There's, um, you know, like, beautiful things. There's more sun than you can see down in the canyon below because you're up here, up on the hills. And so there's just way more beauty that you can observe and absorb and nurture yourself with, right? And so these two pictures are what I think of the, um, the Novus Ordo and the TLM. And yes, that might be kind of pejorative to people who practice Novus Ordo and are getting along fine, but this is how I view my, like this is how I view the call to the TLM and the call to traditionalism is that traditionalism is that village up on the hills. Traditionalism has this like certain intrinsic beauty to it that better in my opinion in my opinion in my opinion, for the third time, people that are going to be like, "Oh, well, you're wrong. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're factually incorrect or whatever." No, in my opinion, the traditional, the traditional Latin mass and the traditional lifestyle is that village up on the hill that gets more sunlight, gets more beauty, and gets more bounty, right? And so the people who travel up there, who establish the village up there, they see something beautiful and they want to bring it down to the people in the canyon. We used to be in the canyon, right? We know what it's like to be in the canyon, and we know that it's perfectly fine, but we also know that it's better up there. So why yeah. wouldn't we want our people in the canyon? Why wouldn't we want our friends and our family in the canyon to experience things up there? But what's the nature of people? Yeah. People are scared. People don't like change. People think, oh, it's perfectly fine in this canyon. Why do you want to go up there? Why, why, like, why would I ever bother? You know, like, what if there are dangers up there? You don't know what kind of things are going to go on in, uh, you know, the hills up there. You, the, there's so much sunlight that maybe it burns your crops. You know, that, that kind of mentality, right? And so I think that that's fundamentally what happens when um, you you have this dichotomy and this pushing away of people i don't think it's a true pushing away i think it's a hey we found something beautiful and we're going to invite you up here and so we have moved towards something good and we have moved towards something beautiful but because the other people are content with um you know being in their village which again let me reiterate is a perfectly perfectly sustainable village and there's nothing wrong with it right it, it is able to subsist and it is able to to bring you the nourishment that you need to live a full and successful life. But because they're just content with that and not to a call to greater things or what we perceive as greater things, right? Again, personal perception, what we perceive as greater things and what we perceive as better practices of our faith, and we can have the argument later on, you know, what's objectively better faith and what's not, or what's objectively better for you and what's not. Um, but we see this thing, this beauty, this beautiful village on the hill, and we invite them, and they are the ones to say, no, I reject that, I don't want to go up there, I want to stay in my canyon village, it's perfectly fine down here, why, why would I want to go there? So I don't think it's really a pushing away, I think it's a rejection of an invitation. Um, I don't think that they It's funny you say that. To, you know, to, to, to get lost. They want us to come back to the safety, to their safety, of the village down here. 
Yeah, it's about. funny you say that because I don't I don't think it's it's intentional. I don't think they're like, oh, we're pushing you away because oh, whatever. You know, I I don't feel it's intentional. I feel that there is a miscommunication, um, because, you know, like. Imagine having someone you're so close with, you know, and then out of nowhere, they don't talk to you the way they used to. Right. And it's like, what did I do? Well, what exactly did I do? Like, our relationship should not change. On the contrary, it should be better. Yeah. You know, um, it's it, if you have God and I have God now, then and I'm being a better person, like I'm trying to be better. Like I've seen the negative things that I was before and I'm trying to change it now for real, then you should love me more. But why is it that now my relationship has, has our relationship has been broken because of it. And it's like, I don't think it's, it's intentional. Uh, like you said, I don't think they push us away on purpose, but, um, but the miscommunication of what it is, why, uh, why it's done that way you know just to pretty much inform i mean trust me the the baptism was something that opened up my eyes because for once in my life it's funny because we baptized my son in novice ordo and i was so busy doing other things uh we baptized him in easter right and uh i was so busy so busy i was i, I was i was too focused on other things that i was in charge of uh, which is pretty much the music part. I was so focused on that that I didn't even like. I wasn't even like joyful that that my son was going to be baptized. I honestly wasn't like. I didn't feel much for it. Um, and this time round, I was so excited. And I'll be honest with you, I was so excited back. But back then, I would have been counting heads. Oh, let's see how many people came. But I kid you not, I authentically this time, I was so like into it. So it was so intimate that like no head counting was there. I I well, I wasn't even focused on who was there and who was not there. Honestly, you know, I was really just focused on my son and him being baptized and being welcomed into the into the Catholic Church. And right. so, um, and I think that can be perceived as something you know, bad, you know, oh, he thinks he's all that, or they think they're all that, oh, they think they're more holy, and it's no, like, maybe, and it's not a maybe, I need this because I am worse than you, like, yeah. I am the worst of the worst, and I need this this way because that, if the, if the Novus Ordo helps you that way, then trust me, if this is like this, because one thing that I know people don't understand is that TLM is pretty strict, you know, it's pretty strict. Like they, they don't play. Like if they, if they tell you something, you, you're gonna do it because they keep tradition solid. And right. so, um, and that's something that I need. Why do I need something more strict? Because I am worse than you. I am the biggest. Like, and I'm not saying it to be humble. Like I'm literally. This is something that I've discovered of myself in the TLM. I am the worst person there. That's why I need to talk to God every single week because i don't even make time for him throughout the week so come sunday i'm there for an hour and a half to two hours just praying my butt off and asking for god to really help me so uh it's sad i really wanted to talk about persecution for a reason man because 
you know, my wife and I, we just moved back to Houston, you know, and, and, you know, being, being kind of like the, I guess the black sheep, right? I mean, I grew up the black sheep my whole entire life anyway, so it's nothing new to me, but it is new to me, you know, being really the black sheep, you know, now this time we're the only ones who are in the TLM and it's very different and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, like, man, it's, it's because I know some of, some of the people listen to the podcast and hopefully they make it this far, you know, an hour 15 in, And, you know, I really want them to understand that. I don't think I'm better. I don't think that what they're doing is wrong. I don't think that what, what's going on is, is okay. You know, uh, but that, I'm really just a person trying to do my best to be as Christian as possible, to know my faith as much as possible. I, I got into an argument with, not an argument, I, I really tried to avoid it, but I still, I got dragged into it um, because uh, Christmas was chaos, right? You needed to go to Mass twice. And it's yeah. like, you know, some people thought, you know, I'm going to try to do a, a, a one shot, one shot kills all, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I really tried to bite my tongue, and I was like, "No, you had to go twice." And so some people were like, "No, you go if you go at night, then you you fulfill Sunday and Monday." And I'm like, "No, you kind of had to go Sunday morning and Sunday night, or go Saturday for Sunday or whatever." And you know, TLM they do it on the days, but you know, we since we were going with the family, we're like, "Okay, you know, let's go to let's go in the morning, us TLM." And then we'll go at night with the family to fulfill uh, Christmas Day. Right. And so, uh, you know, later on, about two weeks later, you know, arguments started. Uh, well, just it was just a discussion. I came off wrong, you know, because you know I got a little passionate about the TLM, and then you know the the whole Holy Day of obligation. How should it have been done? And yes, I do. You know, I I do apologize. I came off, you know. I could know it all, but honestly, I'm I'm an idiot. I can't debate with anyone, you know. But right. when I am passionate about something, like I get passionate and aggressive and whatever. And so I came off wrong, and um, yeah, you know, of instead of you're better than me type of deals. Exactly, you know, and and it was you know, and, and and this sucked, you know. But like, I guess at the same time, I had these hidden feelings of you know, but I know that you don't agree with me. At all, you know, and it's like, man, like I just the persecution is fine and dandy when, you know, you kind of expect it. But I didn't, you know, I guess I just didn't expect it to that degree, you know, I think there's something that we have to keep in mind, uh, a couple of things that we have to keep in mind when when arguments like that happen. Because I know exactly the type of arguments that you're talking about. Because, again, I have friends that are traditionalists that have had the same arguments. And I have had the same arguments with friends and family who, you know, don't agree or are off-put or are weirded out or whatever it is by the change in lifestyle that undergoes, um, you know, those of us that choose to practice traditional faith. And, um... There's there's two things that I think that um, need to be kept in mind. The first is no, uh, this isn't about me thinking I'm better than you. This isn't about you know like um, 
you're doing something absolutely wrong and and the way that you live your life is so horrid and wretched that you need to stop and do exactly what i'm doing right yes exactly it's, not what it is. it's it's an invitation to holiness it's an invitation to something that i think is better it's an invitation to something that in some ways is just abjectly better is something that draws you closer to christ but it's that it's an invitation the second thing is that sometimes it is because I'm doing something better than you, and that's okay, right? Like, but that's that's what love is. That is literally what love is. You're you're you, you want someone to be a better version of themselves. So if I'm mm. doing something, good that point. I can't I can't put it. You know I can't uh, name exact things because just none come to mind. Um, but let's make up a scenario. If I'm going to Mass every Sunday and you're not, I'm literally being a better Catholic than you in the sense that I'm following the tenets of the Church and you're not. So if an, I invite you to come to church with me every Sunday, it's not because I, as an intrinsic being, am better than you. No, it's because I'm practicing my faith better than you, and that's good for me, and it would be good for you to also practice your faith better, and so I want you to be better. So in that particular case, yes, I am better than you, not not intrinsically. It's not like I am a better-built person and I am superior to you in all manner. No. I'm no sinner. Thing, yeah, exactly. It's that the thing that I'm doing is objectively a better thing to do, and you should be doing it too, because it's part of your faith. Right? Again, made, like, made up that scenario, um, you know, you can argue for or against you know, certain aspects of um, traditional versus um, more modern practices. Right? But I just threw that in there because that's something that we can point to and say, oh no, you're objectively not fulfilling your Sunday obligation, and that's actually wrong, it's actually sinful, versus fulfilling your Sunday obligation is not. Exactly. Exactly. And I really want to touch that. I really want to touch that point because, you know, I've heard so many, and, uh, you know, when I was in Dallas and, uh, and my parents are one of those who don't – if they don't go Saturday, they're not going to go Sunday. <laughs> and it's like you know, I grew up – I didn't know that it was a mortal sin to not go to Sunday. So now that I discovered it, I'm like, man, if I know and I don't tell them, then their, their, their sin is – their blood is on my hands because right. me knowing, I kept it to myself. And so that's where I'm at, right? Where like that's where the battle comes in. Because I'm like, okay, I I know that they know they don't know, not because I know more than them. No, because I just discovered it, and I'm I'm learning as well. I would like for everyone to understand Catholicism now, because it's not being taught the same way it used to be. You know, and the biggest example that I give is when I when I went to the TLM the the first I think. First week or two, I saw a kid, two kids, a five-year-old and an eight-year-old praying the rosary, but they knew their prayers. Right. I was like, dude, I didn't know my prayers. I didn't pray my first rosary up until I was uh, 17, 18, around there, and I was still praying it wrong. It's right. until I made it to the seminary that I learned how to pray the rosary. But then all these other kids, they know their prayers, their act of contrition. They know 
uh, Latin prayers as well. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is something different. Like, mm-hmm. these kids know more than me. And it's like, okay, I'm learning little by little. And so, like, I may come off wrong and I don't mean to. And maybe that's the cause of the of the push, push to the side. But, like, it saddens, humanly speaking, because my, my spirit is joyful. Honestly, after I listened to this one uh, homily by a uh, priest from St. John Cantius, we were just watching it on YouTube uh, on the day of because it was live. Uh, and um, he said pretty much, if you have God, you are joyful even in your sufferings. And that really hit home because I was like, wait, I do feel joyful. People right now may dislike me, may push me to the side, may think I'm this, may think I'm that. When in reality, I really do think I'm the worst person out there because I have my own flaws. Uh, But I am joyful. Humanly speaking, sad. Spirit-wise, I'm joyful. And I'm like, I'm, I'm willing to go through it because it brings a satisfaction to me that that has been I've been looking for forever, right? But um, just to finish with this, right? Well, I mean, well this point, right? Uh, never. I say all this because I want people to understand that us as traditionalists, we need to be careful how we, because at the same time, it's also our fault that that, that some churches may close down because we come off too strong. You know, we want to convince people that you have to. Well, I now, if I think about it, if the church allows these other groups to to exist and permits them to celebrate in their own way, it's a good because at the end of the day, they're bringing these people into the church and uh, and they're there. Right. At least they're practicing within the Catholic Church. Um, And so I see it now in a different aspect, in a different light. You know, the church allows it. So be it. Uh, us as traditionalists have to stick to what we believe to be. Uh, I don't want to say the the way it has to be, right? But we just have to stick to what we love, right. and and let other people enjoy their 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 love for their for their way of practicing it. I, I think we would say we we have to support the way that we feel called or the way that we feel exactly. Called people to christ the the best way or the most beautiful way right um yeah i, I think that's it you know and, and that's that's why i do uh, maybe maybe overemphasize but that's why i do emphasize the i'm not disparaging norva sordo the uh you know my analogy with two villages right the village and the village and the canyons for me that that would represent the sordo right it's, it's perfectly fine the village can sustain itself there's nothing wrong with the village right um and you know from my perspective that's the case is that it's, it's a it's a village that gets along perfectly there's nothing wrong with it it's not like you're going to be condemned or go to hell or anything like that for being in that village and heck you know, other people may have the exact opposite opinions. They may think that the TLM and all of its cohorts are the people in the canyons, and the Novus Ordo is the one that's on the hilltop. I mean, that's the basis mm-hmm. for the changes brought about at Vatican Two, right? Is that the mm-hmm. TLM is not bringing people towards God, and so we need a radical reform, right? And so that opinion can exist out there. But all I mean to say is that we 
we firmly do believe, and I I will always argue that I think there's evidence to suggest that the lifestyle that comes from practicing traditional Catholicism, including the TLM, is something that inherently draws people closer to God, more mm-hmm. so than any other form. That yeah. doesn't mean that other forms don't draw people to God. It's that we think that this is the form that draws people the best and the most. And we have his yes. Um, and so that's where we stand on that, is that, hey, we love this thing because it drew us to Christ. It drew millions of people in years past for the last about 1,500 years. Um, because, you know, uh, I think the, the most modern form of the TLM was like around the 500s. Um, the, uh, the, the first instance of it was around the 500s. So yeah, for the last 1,500 years, this is the mass that has formed saints right? And so why wouldn't we love it? It doesn't mean that the new mass can't. It doesn't mean that the new mass doesn't form saints. That just means that we trust the history and we think that people should trust the history as well. And also the experience, like you said, it's just you you notice that the silence is the best way to worship and praise the Lord and to have intimacy with Him. Uh, and that's not just me saying it's what and it's funny because my wife had a different experience than me so it's like uh oh we heard a rumor that i took her out of what we were in and it's like whoa where is this coming from like i I didn't put a gun into her head and and said you have to come and follow me no she decided on her own actually she's the one who told me who would ask me oh are we gonna go back to mass and i was like well you know what yeah let's go (laughs) Uh, it was a mutual thing. I I didn't do it right, but anyways, the whole fact is that she had a different experience. I go because of a certain experience. She goes because of a different experience. I've heard experiences from others that have been totally different. Uh, which brings me to a segue, a good segue to, um, to help Mass of the Ages. Oh yeah. Uh, their the third part of their documentary is going to be out March nineteenth on YouTube. Um, and it's something that I really want to talk about with you because I feel that you and I are big Master of the Age, Ages fans. Absolutely. Um, if you so have, if I, guys watching our podcast have not seen the first two episodes of Master of the Ages, go watch it because we can sit here and talk about the traditional Mass all day and why we love it, why we were called to it. But those videos, that movie, the, the project that Master of the Ages is doing to showcase what it is about the traditional mass is beautiful. The visuals are stunning. The people that they interview are knowledgeable and amazing. Um, and I'm not just saying mm-hmm. that because I, I, uh, one of them was my professor at college. Um, no, they are legitimately intelligent people that are talking about the Latin mass and uh, the things that go into them. Um, and the, the, the history that he expounds on is, is really eye-opening. It really is. Episode mm-hmm. 2 was a total game changer for me. Um, oh, yeah. I am I am really excited to watch episode three. I'm, I'm really excited that it's coming out. So if you have to think... go watch the first two episodes, and you will be just as excited as us, hopefully. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I think, I think the documentaries will uh, hit home for some people. I mean, for me, the main one that really touched me was the first one. I really love that um, the the lady's experience, you know, and it's it's extreme. It's the reason it hit me is because 
one of my curiosities about the land mass was what attracts these people mm-hmm. it's literally a mass a low mass is quiet what attracts these people why do they give so much time and effort to make it to a parish that's two hours away for a land mass every sunday what does it have and so uh in the first documentary the first movie uh it's a woman who has four kids if i'm not mistaken and uh can't remember her husband dies of a brain tumor i think it was yeah and uh Right. So it was like, I think a month into them going to the traditional Latin mass that he was diagnosed with a tumor because he had a seizure at work. And uh, the way she speaks about the Latin mass, how it helped her. It, it, it's just astounding. It, it, it It's something that you like. I, I was used to hearing it in this uh, in what I was in, in, in the Novus Ordo. Right. Because I. I've heard so many experiences about uh, similar to that or, or maybe worse, right? Um, and I was so used to it. And so what shocked me the most was that there was something like this outside of what I was in. And uh, and concretely, it wasn't just them faking it. It was a real experience. And so that that, that really caught my attention. And the way she the, – the way her kids spoke about it as well, it was – like I don't know, it was just so different, and that's what kind of captivated me to move forward in the land mass was the way she spoke about the faith, about what she was experiencing, and how she got through. And you can see that she's still in pain, but she's able to to live life knowing that that he's in heaven. Exactly, she can bear that cross. And I'm like, because I grew up always thinking that I needed something. Or someone to help me, or I needed this, needed that. Uh, which I, I'm once again, I'm not throwing stones at anyone. It's me personally, the way I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and know that I can do it with God, and really, truly put my trust in God a hundred percent, and that He'll provide everything. To me, I knew because they would always tell me, you know, God will provide, God will provide. But I never was, I never had the grace to truly believe it. Every time something would happen, which is how I ended up in Dallas, I, I, I would go nuts. Oh, God will provide, and I would stress out. And it's like, no, now I, I've learned that God God provides, but at his time, just trust him. And I'm like, now that I'm living it and seeing it, this house here, truly, truly, God surprised us with it. Um, you know, everything that we have in, in the house was given to us, and it's like, whoa. Like he does provide and you don't have to stress, you know, because things God allows things for a reason. And sure, the Novus Ordo where I was in, um, they would constantly tell me that. And they were that's what they were that's why I didn't want to leave that, right? Because they told me certain things that were true, but for some reason I couldn't truly believe. And now that I truly believe, I know I'm in the right place, right? And so I, I give that little that little testimony in between because that's what the mass of the ages is. It, it, it gives you not only testimonies, but gives you concrete experiences and historical background uh, to make you see the beauty of the traditional Latin mass and why it's important for you to at least attend once a month. 
Yeah. You know, not just once a year, once a month. Go to the Novus Ordo, but then go to the Landmass once a month because it's a different, I don't want to say spirit. It's a different, uh, what can I use? Uh, a different experience. Um, yeah, just a, some, something more intimate. Yeah. You know, you don't have to worry about singing, clapping. Uh, what else do they do in Novus Ordo? Um reading uh yeah announcing something like the priest will do everything for you you do all you do is go and rest and so so the third so the third document uh movie is coming out march 19th and it's um so it's about women who after what was the name of the um the motor proprio uh uh, um, <laughs> yeah, that one. So whenever that came out, these women, uh, I think that's that's what I read from the description, right? They walk all the way to Rome. I'm not sure from where, right? But they walk to Rome and uh, meet up with the Pope. Try to meet with the Pope to to allow the land mass to be accessible for everybody. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's what I understood from the description. Right. Um, it's come out in March, so we'll see. We'll see that. Yeah, I mean, having mothers, women do it. I mean, it's 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 a different thing. I mean, you'll see for all those, and I'm I'm gonna say, you know, I mean, if you have a wife, a girlfriend, or whatever, who she feels degraded by the church, know that she's the one of the most important things in in the church. No, um, so, and did you hear about Bishop Snyder? I did not hear about Bishop Snyder. So Bishop Snyder has a prayer for uh, to pray for the future for future holy popes. Kind of scandalous, you know. Kind of uh, he's uh, throwing, he's swinging. Uh, but that's Bishop Snyder. So I agree with him. I've also heard rumors that the next pope might come out of Africa. Only God knows. Um, that's, that's, uh, so much more that we can suggestion, but it's also because Africa is the largest growing, um, the largest growing population. Catholic, so I think that that's a good thing. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if there's anything to be commented on that except that yeah, hope's probably going to come out of Africa because that's where all the Catholics are right now. Yeah, at least. Well, they have a good spirituality, so I mean. I wouldn't if, if it was a Cardinal Sarah, Hey, I, I'm down for that. I would be down for it. He's too old by now, but yeah. yeah. But that dude was is, is great. And um, no, I mean one last thing that I, I really wanted to talk about was, you know, the the goal for the podcast, and I think Sam and I uh, are shooting to really just grow it, and we need your help. So, well, I think actually, back before then... We, before we get into the appeal, there's one more thing that I want to dedicate to you. Speaking of growing the podcast, right? Uh, Jose, we I had, know where you're going. We had a special guest on last week, um, and we'd like to thank him um, for allowing us to speak with him and interview him. And we, I understand that we have a couple new subscribers, and maybe some of you guys are from his followers um and we welcome you guys here thank you for joining us we hope that we 
we promote content that you guys like and agree with and produce content that you guys want to hear. But I'd like to thank Eddie, the Rosary guy, for being on our podcast last week. Um, I say last week, the last podcast. This is like, what, two weeks ago now? Three weeks ago? Like a month ago. Um, yeah, seriously. Um, but he was so, so, so gracious to send both me and Jose two rosaries that he custom and I must say that they are beautiful. Um, if you haven't listened to the podcast, go listen to it um, because the, uh, he, he explains that he wants people to pray these rosaries. He makes rosaries so that people know how a rosary can be and how rugged these are. I mean, like Eddie, did, he did such a fine job on this. It's made of paracord and it's so rugged. And, you know, this is truly a manly rosary that I could and it's too perfect. It, it, it almost seems as if a, a, a machine did them, but yeah, they're this handmade. Is, this is an amazing rosary, and Eddie did all of this himself. So, Eddie, God bless you. If you're listening to this episode, thank you so much. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous rosary. I hope to get many, many supplications and prayers out of this. Um, I want to do a special shout-out because he, he not only made the rosary, but he added special attention us on the rosaries too um when he asked me you know about some dedications uh i told him well i like the color red and red is associated with martyrdom and so i think a couple of dedications that should be on here are um holy catholic martyrs and so you know we have i don't know if you guys can see there we have saint sebastian um uh we have saint sebastian we have saint thomas more and uh we have saint maria Goretti. Um, all of whom were martyred for the faith. Um, all of whom you guys should definitely read the stories because each of them has an excellent story. St. Thomas More has a movie about him, The Man for All Seasons. Go watch it. It's fantastic. Um, and St. Maria Goretti herself was just a beautiful and holy girl who was martyred because she wouldn't give up um, her virginity to a guy that, um, that was about to rape her. And awesome story about that too. He repented and his cause for canonization is being pushed because he repented of murdering Maria Goretti and became a Christian and, you know, sought out her, uh, her forgiveness. And, um, he went to go, uh, uh, if I remember the story correctly, he went to St. Maria Goretti's mother after he got out of jail and would visit her and asked her forgiveness. And the mother told him that day I lost a daughter, but today I gained a son and they, they, um, proceeded to have this like mother-son relationship, and so like this—it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. Definitely go read about Saint Maria Goretti if you haven't. But thank you, Eddie. Um, I have this dedication with me now, and anytime anyone asks, "Hey, where'd you get that?" I'm gonna tell them the Rosary guy made it. Go follow his page. Go look at all the beautiful rosaries he's making, and pray your rosary and ask for the same supplication because we have so many holy people that made that gave their lives for the church um yeah jose any any comments on yours uh, oh yeah no i um uh, i think previously in the podcast because i had done one last week just to keep going uh -huh. and um i spoke about the, the rosary bit but i wanted to talk a little bit more about it so i have saint francis i'm not sure you can see that saint francis uh and now that i'm thinking about it, it's funny you were talking i was like wait 
Saint Francis just resonates so much with me, not only because he's the patron saint of my marriage. It's the same day I met my wife as well. Um, got married on the same day, which is October 4th, which is his feast day. Um, for that reason, we got married on October 4th. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, he was one one of the columns of the church. You know, at, at one point, you know, he had, I'm not sure if, you know, you're very familiar with his story, but he had a dream, you know, uh, that it was him holding up the church with St. Dominic. Um, I think it was St. Dominic, another saint. Uh, and um, he was holding up the church. And why do I say that? Because, uh, you know, olive green reminds me of the of the Mount of Olives where Jesus, you know, he cried and, and he shed blood from his skin, from his pores, uh, right before he was entering his passion. And so the green remind is because of the Mount of Olives. I've been to the Mount of Olives. I've seen the tree where he cried blood. Uh, uh, he yeah, cried blood. Um, and St. Francis, because he motivates me to want to also be a reformer of the church. Mm-hmm. Not the way Martin Luther, Luther was, right? Uh, but to be... Yeah, exactly. But to be a reformer in holiness. Um you know, for my family, for if, if I become one for the church, hey, uh, that's what I'm called to be, right? But I see this rosary, and I didn't say this last time, right, in the, the previous podcast, but this rosary, every single day I see it, reminds me, as you just said, to hold steadfast, hold on to the rosary. It's a weapon. It's your armor. It's your sword. It's your shield. It's everything. And so to hold on to this and to, to see St. Francis every single day reminds me to keep fighting for the church. Mm-hmm. Don't leave the church because salvation, you can only find it in the church, Catholic church, but also to, to fight for the well-being of the church and to fight for what is right. And uh, he never became a priest. Uh, he he stayed a deacon. He never became a priest because he didn't feel worthy of uh, of consecrating. But uh, but yeah, that's that's why this rosary. When I first received it, when I first got it, I I don't know about you, but I really did want to cry because it's just a beautiful rosary. It's it, and having all this meaning on it just makes you want to really just hold it all the time. I don't know about you, but I always want to hold it. I always carry a rosary in my pocket, and uh, I'm used to the, you know the thin ones. But this one's like so bulky that I'm like, this is so cool. Yeah. Like I feel like I can just take it out and be like, oh, move away from me, Satan. Exactly. Yeah. And pictures are coming, Eddie. But um, yeah. Thank you, Eddie, very much. Thank you, Eddie, so so much. I haven't taken that picture. Uh, I will take it. Uh, as soon as my kid lets me. Uh, yeah. But fiasco. It uh, it wasn't delivered to me when they said it was, and uh, it was accidentally delivered to the neighbor's house, and so it took a couple days for me to track it down because they were out of town, and so yeah, I haven't had a chance to actually take it um take it anywhere yet, but we got I got the pictures coming. Thank you, Eddie. Yeah, love the search. And with that, we finished this. I think this has been the longest episode we've ever done, and I love it. 
I hope that I hope that the people actually hear up to now. Um, and uh, well, if you've stayed this long, thank you guys so much for listening, and we hope that you'll come back next week for more. And we're gonna try now that the new year is over to keep putting out a weekly episodes. Um, life just hit really hard around the holidays. Sure does oh yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah. Content, and if you like it, leave a like, subscribe, give us a comment or two. Comment. What's going on? And yeah, tell us what you like about it, what you don't like, and any constructive criticism is always appreciated. Yeah, and uh, if you like any prayers, you can always leave that down in the comments as well. Uh, we'll be happy to pray for you as well. And uh, go follow Eddie Maduano on Instagram at uh, Rosary Guy. And uh, with that, we finished, and God bless, and see you soon, Sam. Absolutely. See you, Jose. God bless. All right.